Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brand. And this episode, look out, because it's Dragon Time with SST 161, the St. Vitus Mournful Cries LP. This is obviously one of Brant's favorite on the show, and over the years, I've gotten more and more into Vitus, so I'm pumped to get into this record as well, Brant. Yeah. Whew, it's been too long, man. Yeah, is this the last Vitus too? We'll get into that in history lesson, but... Okay. More or less. No, okay, spoiler alert. Yep. No spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, before we... Uh, light our black candles you want to hit me with some spiels you hit me with some some spiels you you're the one with a spiel log i do have a spiel log and i'm trying not to give you all of the items in one episode i'm gonna dole them out um but there was a huge build-up over christmas break um so first spiel then i've got a rock dock report for you okay ready yep you ready for that okay the first one is a recommend for you if you haven't seen it yet. The documentary is called Scenesters. Music, Mayhem, and Melrose Ave, 1985 to 1990. Have you seen that one, Brent? No. So I'm I'm shocked because when I watched this documentary, every every few minutes I kept saying this was made for Brent, <laughs> and because don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. But you will love it because it is the mix of L.A. post-punk, goth, and and metal, hmm. like all into one documentary. They really hold it out as, you know, the, the big headline bands of Jane's Addiction, The Chilies, and Guns N' Roses. Mm. But there's some serious SS Tree ties as well because... Uh, there's Don Ballas from the Germs and Celebrity Skin in it, Abby Travis from the Love Dolls, Jeff mm. Siegel from the Nymphs, Pat Mazingo from Junkyard, Paul Black, L.A. Guns, Bruce Duff, Paul Rossler. It goes on and on. You must see this documentary, Scenesters. Sounds right up my alley. Any action from The Hangman? Ooh, that did not... I'm pretty sure... There's, there's like, I'm pretty sure that it's at least name dropped. Hmm. You know, I have to admit, again, I watched this like well over a month ago. <laughs> and so, and they name drop, a t like they name drop DC3, tons of, tons of bands, man. You have to watch it. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. I'm on it, man. Okay. My next two are, they're head scratchers for me because I, I can't tell what they are and I can't really find them. Well, well, maybe, maybe not. But anyways, the first one is called She's a Punk Rocker from Planet Punk. It looks like it is a, and I, and again, like I saw, I saw an ad for it because there is a Kira Rossler teaser. It's about two minutes long. You can check it out on YouTube. And then you go to this Patreon website it looks like it's directed by Zilla Minx, who was in this UK anarcho-punk band, Rubella Ballet. And it looks like Zilla made a very UK-focused She's a Punk Rocker documentary from 2010. And you can see it on YouTube. I haven't watched it yet. I just This is hot off the press. Um, but it looks like Zilla is kicking off either a new documentary 
or a series of documentaries that you can subscribe to. Um, it looks like she's creating essentially a film or series using archive and new interviews from punk women in particular. And and as I said, there is a two-minute teaser with Kira on YouTube that you can check out. It looks cool. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but something to keep your eyes out for, for sure. Hmm. Okay, sounds cool. Yeah, it looks cool. Another thing that is a head-scratcher for me is I saw a teaser for a documentary on Robo Brandt. Really? Have you seen that? No. So... It's called, uh, it's called like Robo, a short film. The hmm. only service or platform or whatever I can find it on is Vimeo, mm -hmm. V-I-M-E-O. Yep. I don't even, I don't even really know what the hell that is, but. It's like YouTube. Yeah. You can see uh, about a two minute Robo short film teaser on there. I cannot find the full film or where to rent it or, or whatever, hmm. but. I thought if I maybe set you on the case, you could find out for us, or maybe one of our listeners can tell us what the hell this robo documentary is. Well, maybe it's, gotta... maybe it's not finished yet. Well, it's dated 2018. I don't know. Maybe so... it was never finished. That happens too. Yeah. Well, yeah. someone out there has got killer footage of like modern day robo, and that documentary needs to be out there. Hmm. That's yeah. that's the big that's the big news. Um, but check that out. Maybe you can figure it out. And um, a documentary I was not aware of, but I watched it, loved it, and it's a great prep for a couple of episodes from now when we have the These Immortal Souls. Have you seen that documentary, Autoluminescent? Yeah, I have seen it. I'm probably going to rewatch it for the episode, though, because it was a while ago. Yeah, I didn't. I just discovered it like a couple of weeks ago. It's killer. I'm definitely going to rewatch it again for These Immortal Souls, but... Um, I'm glad you already knew about it because I didn't want to drop that bomb on you two episodes from now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good one. So there, there's a short rock doc report as one of my spiels. Great. My, my next spiel, get ready, Brant, because Watts on base. Okay. Hey, uh, very quickly, I have a rock doc recommend for you, though. Oh, do it. Do I it. watched this over the holidays and I... I don't even remember the name of it, but there's a Killing Joke documentary, which is really good. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. that, too. Yeah. It's, yeah, good. Yeah. it's good, hey? It's a little long. I, it's long. I actually walk, watched it back-to-back -back with the Swans documentary. Oh, boy. That's holidays. like eight hours of documentary footage right there. Yeah. And really unhappy documentary. Yeah. <laughs> is that the way to put it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I should have mentioned that to you too, but that's a good recommend, and it's a good documentary. It made me go back and listen to the first few Killing Joke records. It's been a while, still like them. Yeah. All right, so this is not a new Mike Watt release. It's a new discovery to me, though. A band called Cuz. Hmm. C-U-Z. Okay. Cuz, okay. The album is called Tomate Bayo. Or Tamata Bayo, not sure on that. But it's it's Mike Watt and Sam Duke from the Go team. It's from 2014 on Bleeding Heart Recordings. They have also released a couple of singles. And you can get it all on Bandcamp. I ordered the disc and the only available single off of Bandcamp. They arrived last week, which was awesome. Kind of indie art 
punk spoken word, some singing. It's cool. It's a cool listen. Uh, and I would recommend you check out Cuz because Watts on bass. Okay. That's all I got. That's it? These are your spiels? What do you mean that's it? I that's feel like good. you just took like a few logs out of the spiel log jam. I got to dole it out, man. Okay. got to dole it out. You're next. Okay. Ryan, something a little fun here. So our friends over at the End on End podcast, that's the right. Discord podcast, uh, Brian and Jeff, as well as current guest host Ben, they're doing an amazing job. I don't really recall which episode they talked about this on, uh, but it was a while back. They were spieling about some new records they'd picked up, and Jeff mentioned he had gotten a package from the cool band Truth Cult, which I know you've spieled about before. Yeah, man, they're good. Yeah. So Jeff was talking about how the band included a note with the records that um, they sent him, and they listed their top five Discord co-releases, like, ah. where, like where Discord does half numbers. Oh, yeah, I know those. Yeah. Jeff was pretty pumped that the band, you know, knew about the show, and uh, so he listed off their top five. So I decided to check them out. All I had really heard uh, was one of them. The other four I had never heard before. So I'm not going to spiel too hard on these. I'll, I'll leave it to the experts, Brian and Jeff, when they when they get to them. But here we go, Ryan. And I think you might know all five of these records. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> and if you don't, well, you're gonna you're gonna want to check them out because these and are. I all... have my I have my orders. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's been some cool sp Discord split releases over the years. I won't say that I've checked them all out though, but off and on for sure. Hit me with these ones. Yeah, all five of these are right up your alley, and they may have listed them in order, but I'm not going to because I I don't remember what the order was. Okay, but number five was. Reptile House, I Stumble as the Crow Flies. Heck yes. Yeah. So that's Discord 15 and 3 quarters in conjunction with Druid Hill Records. Came out in 85. This is a pre-Lungfish band of Daniel Higgs and Aza Osborne. It's four song, seven inch. The It's the only release associated with Druid Hill. So I'm assuming that's the band. There isn't, this is the only one of these five that the, the podcast has gotten to so far. Yeah, there's and, a full length by Reptile House too. That's awesome. Yeah, I need to track that down. Listen to the power soul. So the episode for End on End, they have Daniel Higgs and London May who played drums on this. And it's a really cool interview. London May played in like Sam Hain, bunch of bands. So check out that episode. Check out this release. Oh, and Brian... Uh, one of the hosts of End on End, has a new podcast called The Unanimous Hour, which is an entire podcast series devoted to lungfish, which I haven't checked out yet. But yes, I'm, I saw that. Yeah, I'm sure, it's well, I'm sure it's well done. Okay, number four, Ryan. The Monorchid. Let Them Eat the Monorchid from 1997. Heck yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that's great. Dis Got all the Monorchid. I knew, I knew you would. Discord 15 and a half. Uh, with Simple Machines, who you've spieled about before, and done a blog about too, Ryan. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> cool Virginia label. Also released on LP by Love It. Ex-members of Circus Lupus. This album rules super hard. Really awesome kind of garagey post-punk with killer vocals. 
Chris Thompson, the vocalist, actually kind of reminds me of Pat Smear. I mean that as a compliment. And they also have a record on Touch and Go that I need to track down ASAP. Who put, up, who put out the fire? Killer. Yeah. Okay, number three, Ryan. Vile Cherubs. Post-humorous Heck. relief. Heck yes. Yep. 1989 Discord 33 and a third, along with Cherubic Delusions, which again, I assume is the band. Pre-Nation of Ulysses, Tim Green. This one was a toss-up between this and the Monorchid for me, for the best of the, the five here. Yeah, I actually don't have that album. I have got the Afterburn Records comp, the man who has no... What is it? The man who has no eats, has no sweats, I think it's called? Yeah. It's total garage 60s influence through an 80s kind of DC punk filter. Okay, number two, Candy Machine, Tune International. That's a no for me. Candy okay. Machine. 1996, Discord 116 and a half, along with DeSoto, another label with deep Discord connections. Yes. This is a Baltimore band. I think maybe this is their third and final record. There's some definite Jawbox influence going on with Candy Machine. Oh my God, where have you been all my life, Candy Machine? Okay, and number one, this is the only record of these five that I that I have. Autoclave. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure what they were talking about, if it's the 7-inch or the 10-inch, uh, but the 7-inch is a split release with K Records, the 10-inch is a split with Mira but I have the Mira Discord CD comp from 97. That's uh, Christina from the band who ran that label. All of the members of this band have deep ties with tons of Discord bands, and this is really great mathy stuff that has that kind of Discord sound. Yep, that's a great list. Yeah. Okay, Ryan, I think it's time that we head into a little place called... (laughs) Do it. The Comp Zone. Ryan, I picked up this comp called Beach Boulevard. Yes, Posh Boy. Yeah, originally came out on Posh Boy in 79. It's been reissued a few times. Most recently, last year, on Italian label Radiation Records for Record Store Day. Mm -hmm. Double, Double LP. Double LP with 17 bonus tracks. You get the great intro from Dirk Dirksen doing his thing, you know, from the stage where he insults the crowd. <laughs> it's Is that all... the one where he's talking about a garbage can or something like that? Uh, no, that's that's a Dead that's a dead Kennedy's or a DOA DVD. Oh, yeah. I can't remember from which the one Mahube. I picked up. Yeah. Try to resist the urge to throw yourself in the garbage with the rest of the trash on your way out the door. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a... Maybe that's a Dick, a live Dickies record. Maybe. Gosh, what the heck is that? Uh, first wave LA area punk, engineered at Media Art in Hermosa, some of it anyways, by Spot. Uh, there's some tracks credited to Rick L. Rick, but they're actually Negative Trend demos. I'm pretty sure he was the second vocalist of Negative Trend. Uh, also, Rick's first band, F Word, is on yeah. here. The Simple yeah. Tones, out of Rosemead, California. Uh, the reissue has a couple tracks from The Clan, who had a Posh Boy single, and it's Richard Scott from The Simple Tones. But my fave tracks on here are for sure by The Crowd, Huntington Beach Band. Oh, I love their full length. Yeah. One of the first bands to kind of mix that surf and hardcore sounds. Yeah. I actually 
few weeks back, I went on a bit of a Posh Boy deep dive. There's a ton of stuff in there I know nothing about. Yeah. I need to get into Posh Boy a bit more. Yeah. So that's that's my uh, my comp zone. I'm sure Ryan, everyone listening to this is by now aware that podcast pal Jim Ruland, uh, whose various books we've referenced on the show, is writing a book about SST called Corporate Rock Sucks. The Rise and Fall of SST Records for publication in winter 22. So we've been chatting with Jim about this for a while now. He's he's shared some amazing factoids with us that's that he's already uncovered. And needless to say, we are beyond excited for this. Uh, we still get messages all the time asking about the unpublished Abe Gibson book. So it's great that the SST story is being written. And I'm certain we'll have Jim on as a guest at some point. Glad the cat is finally out of the bag on that one and we can talk about it. And if you've read some of his other books, then you know he's going to do the SST story justice. So Yeah, no doubt. Super pumped for that. All right, well, let's get into some mournful cries then. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent. I will say that this record really stood out for me against the the prior Vitus records and you're probably going to talk a bit about it because we've got the fully formed but final Vitus here I think right yeah this one is actually probably considered by many people anyways the weakest of the the SST records I don't know I liked it maybe yeah. it's maybe I need to go back and re-listen to the other ones because I haven't done that I liked it a lot though yeah well I do too born to Born Too Late is considered such a classic. And the one after this, Five, is also, you know, one of their better records. So maybe it's just the fact that this is sandwiched in between kind of two two classics, maybe? Uh. Mournful Cries came out on August 22nd, 1988. It's the fourth full-length St. Vitus release on SST and sixth overall for the label. Uh, we've seen them on episode 22 for their self-titled debut with special guest Joe Carducci. Then again on 42, The Walking Dead EP, 52, Hollow's Victim, 82, Born Too Late, and 119, The Thirsty and Miserable 12-inch EP, where we had Dave Chandler on as a guest. We've also seen them on episode 43, The Blasting Concept 2, and episode 66, Program Annihilator. Unfortunately, Ryan, as you mentioned, this is their final studio album for SST, but we'll be seeing them way down the line on, on episode 266, the Heavier Than Thou compilation. Right. And possibly on a, sh a few other comps, like I'm guessing they're on Program Annihilator too, but I don't remember. This is the second album with second vocalist Scott Wino Weinrich, who also plays guitar for the first time on a Vitus record. We've got the classic rhythm section of Mark Adams on bass and Armando Acosta on drums and guitarist and main songwriter Dave Chandler, the band leader and only member to appear on every single Vitus record. When we last talked about Vitus, uh, they were on the Born Too Thirsty tour with the Mentors, which ran from July 3rd, 87 through August 21st of 87. Following that tour, they played some shows around L.A. when they got back, frequently at the Anti-Club with Swa, Firehose, uh, Sylvia Juncosa, the Lazy Cowgirls, Sister Double Happiness. Uh, they played some shows locally through the fall of 87 and into the, into the spring of 88. 
And then in March of 88, they recorded this album at Music Grinder Studio in Hollywood on March 24 through 27. I don't believe, Ryan, we've seen that studio before. It was engineered by Casey McCacken, and the second engineer is listed only as Keith. Couldn't find a last name on Keith. And then in the producer's chair, they brought back Joe Carducci, who produced all of their SST albums. I got a little spiel from from Carducci about uh, about coming back to, pr- to produce this. He says, I had spent most of 1987 working on a building I bought in Chicago, so I felt like I was finally turning back to work on rock and the pop narcotic. So I kept the trip really short. Dave Chandler had sent me a practice tape, and I asked them to line up practices for four days running, of which I'd see the last practice, and then we went into Music Grinder Studio in Hollywood on Melrose Ave for three consecutive days, 12 hours each day. I didn't pick the studio, but it was a good one with a huge Quonset hut space for drums. Two days were for tracking, one for mixing. I stayed with Dave in Lamita. I thought the engineer was good, Casey McCacken. He was a Hollywood guy, but he rolled with what we were doing, live tracking. Must have seen like doing a demo to him. I think I didn't get the sound right for the guitar solos. That's my minor critique when I listen to it. Melrose was the hip retail street, and Dave saw Rick Rubin walking past the studio and brought him in. We played him one song, and he was unresponsive, maybe already into Buddhism. Another visitor, Ryan, was Chris Gates, who was then in Junkyard, and they were doing a showcase release gig that Wino was really into. He was living in Hollywood now, so the band was maybe beginning to separate from him the first time. Hard to imagine Wino living down in Lamita with the others. Must have been like sensory deprivation for him. Naomi called Dave's to see if I was around, but I barely was, so I didn't get to see her. She couldn't make the sessions and wasn't at SST when I got down to the new-to-me SST in Carson. I saw Greg, and we talked about the book I was writing, and he gave me a little static about its focus on live playing, so I thought he might be thinking of playing with machines in the studio at that point. I also saw Linda Trudnick, Mugger, Chuck, and maybe some others I'm forgetting. I wanted to keep working on the band's records, but they left left SST, and the next album they did was recorded in Germany. So, of course, I responded to that email by saying, Wow, Junkyard, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what he sent me on that. I think Junkyard had been signed, and maybe the album was out. Gig may have been at Club Lingerie. Wino wanted everyone to go, and Chris seemed stoked to meet me. I may have met him briefly at a big boys gig years before. He says, I also meant to mention that Dave rented the front house on a two-house lot in Lomita on a quiet street. Mark lived with his parents in the back house, and they owned both houses. And they owned both houses. I think I had breakfast each day up at Mark's house, and his parents were nice and indulgent, like a less intellectual version of the Gins parents, right down to a house full of stuff bought at Reef resale shops and flea markets, but the Adamses had less books and more Elvis LPs, ceramic crotch keys, etc. Thanks to Carducci for sending that in. Yeah, definitely. So Ryan, they didn't do much for the rest of 1988, but almost a full year year later, in March of 89, they toured for almost the entire year on the Go to Hell tour with God and later Corner, almost entirely in Germany and Switzerland. 
Then, uh, as Joe mentioned, German label Hellhound Records released a live album simply titled Live from this tour, and also the follow-up record Five in 1990. Scott left the band in 1991 to reform The Obsessed, at which point Vitus went on hiatus until 1992 when they brought in former Count Raven vocalist Christian Linderson and recorded the excellent COD record, produced Ryan by Don Dawkin. Christian left and was replaced by original vocalist Scott Riegers for 1995's Die Healing. By 1996, they decided to call time on St. Vitus, and then seven years later, in 2003, they reunited with Wino for some shows, split up again, reformed in 2008, again with Wino. Uh, unfortunately, Armando Acosta passed away at the age of 58 on November 25th, 2010. He was replaced by Henry Vasquez for 2012's excellent reunion album, Lily F65. Then there's a couple more live records, a fair amount of touring, and then 2019's self-titled album with Pat Brudders replacing Mark Adams on bass, and original vocalist Scott Riegers once again back in the band. And speaking of Joe Carducci, Ryan, there's an excellent excellent interview uh, by this dude Armin on a cool podcast with a lot of promise. It kind of just started called Rock Rit. And it's all about rock criticism and zine culture. I see he also had on Jay Hinman of the Dynamite Hemorrhage zine. Joe, of course, is a genius, so I'll always listen to interviews with him. He talks about all kinds of stuff, movies, and uh, he talks about, he asks some, some questions about Enter Naomi, actually, and he says that he has a screenplay written based on Naomi's life, which is kind of based on her journals. So that's pretty cool. Love to see that get made. Joe kind of talks about like his production values in this interview. Particularly, like he says, you want to work with musicians who have their own voice. And then you do, no, do not want to pave over that voice with a click track or multiple trackings of the same instrument. I thought that was interesting, listening to this yeah. this record. Joe kind of saying, you know, that he he likes the the live in the studio. Yeah. vibe of a record this record sounds live it definitely does it kind of ha there's some some speed ups some slowdowns you know that are intended in the music but there's also some that are just kind of natural with the intensity and it works yeah yeah i was at, on that reptile house episode the london may interview he's talking about being in the studio with Ian Mackay and how he can't, he doesn't like listening to the reptile house seven inch anymore because of Ian really valued vibe over, you know, getting the perfect take. So, yeah. you know, a lot of his drumming, he doesn't like because the take that they oh. used was chosen more for its, its vibe overall vibe, you know, rather than the technical perfection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's my history lesson on Vitus. That kind of, takes us up to the end of their their time with sst unfortunately do you want to start going through these tracks yeah history lesson part two okay let me hit you though with a quick spaceman on this record okay yeah this is what whitaker said about mournful cries this is their heaviest effort yet featuring the second guitar of vocalist Wino for the first time. 
the masters of dirge metal take another step forward with these six new epics, including the soon-to-be classic Bitter Truth, available on LP, cassette, and CD. Right on. Getting into track one, side one, you've got intro slash The Creeps, and this is written by Dave Chandler. Uh, intro is just a short little piece with like a descending riff and like the Black Sabbath hammer-on trills. And then uh, we get Wino going, I'll give you the creeps. Kind of a general theme for Dave's tunes. He often writes these kind of songs about creepy characters stalking people like the sadist and the psychopath and look behind you. Yeah. They, I'm guessing they picked this as the opener because it's the album's like most upbeat rockin' track. Yeah, it's really fast yeah. for Vitus. And it has a cool train wreck ending as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then they go straight into Dragon Time. Like, they definitely tracked it like that live. This is the first of two epics on the album. It's seven and a half minutes long, written by Dave. Definitely recorded back-to-back, the way you hear it on the record. Yeah, there's some good dragon growls in this song. The thing that really struck me about this song, though, other than the great vocals and the solo, they're both killer, is... When I was listening to this, I'm like, man, you know how hard it is to play slow like this and oh, do yeah. it well? Yeah. It's really hard, man. And it sounded so good. Especially for the drummer, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dave gets credited with the dragon's growl. <laughs> Here's where we hear Wino playing guitar for the first time on a Vitus record. In that Decibel Born Too Late Hall of Fame article, he asks the question, was there any discussion about Wino playing guitar in Vitus when he first joined? And Dave says they made it clear they wanted him to just sing because they wanted that same Sabbath-style lineup. Armando says in that inter- interview, Dave wasn't into having a second guitarist, and since he wrote most of the music, he made the rules. He says, we tried doing the two-guitar thing on Mournful Cries, and I thought it sounded nice and fat and full myself, but I guess Dave wasn't into it. Wino says in that interview, they knew I was a guitar player and Mark especially wanted to bring it in. And we did phase it in for a bit on the mournful cry stuff. But you know, in the end, there were a lot of logistical problems with that. And to be honest with Vitus, I kind of liked the fact that all I had to do was sing. At times I felt naked up there without a guitar to hide behind, but I also felt like that's what I needed to do to learn how to really sing for my diaphragm and develop my style. And then, Ryan, I found this Terrorizer magazine article from 2013 that was written on the 25th anniversary of this album by this guy, Kez Whalen, who I'm going to, and I'm going to be referencing that article throughout, throughout these, uh, the rest of the episode. He says, it's also one of the only Vitus records that gives Wino a chance to flex his fingers as well as, well as his vocal cords as he trades guitar solos back and forth with Dave Chandler on the earth-shattering Dragon Time. His shimmering, harmonious lead work is worlds apart from Chandler's hallucinogenic, whammy-abusing Evil Hendrix impersonation, and hearing them play back-to-back like this is a clear demonstration of how much their styles differ, not to mention a potent reminder that they're two of the finest Doom guitarists this side of Iomi. This is just a Doom classic, Ryan. I love Wino's bluesy licks. 
during the first, second, and fourth leads, and then Dave's total fret melter in the middle, middle section, like with the wah pedal and the dive bomb explosions. Yep. And I, I love how it comes out of Dave's solo and into Wino's kind of more melodic solo. Uh, Kez Whalen also says in that Terrorizer article, undoubtedly the most fantastical ode in the Vita songbook, dispensing with their usual blunt realism to tell the tale of a village ravaged by dragon attacks of all things. Pretty epic. Yeah. Okay, and then already we're on the final track of side one, Shooting Gallery, written by Dave, 6 minutes and 44 seconds. Heavy doom metal here. Another of Dave's favorite topics, the perils of drug abuse. The Terrorizer article article calls it a stark depiction of the perils of heroin abuse. Armando's drums just sound huge in that middle section when he goes down to the toms. I like those creepy footsteps in the chains at the end of the song. <laughs> yeah. And just like that, we're, do- we're done side one. The enti- entire album's only 33 minutes long, so it's pretty short. Yeah, I wondered whether it should actually be called an EP at six songs, but probably not, given the epic length of some of the tracks. Yeah. So track one, side two, intro slash bitter truth. Here, this one's written by Wino. Uh, he's got a nice acoustic sounding picked intro. And then Armano just does a pounded out four four count. And then just this gnarly solo from Dave. Joe told me that Armando couldn't quite get the arrangement for this one, so they did several takes of it. And I can see why. There's some weird stuff going on with the time signatures a little bit, but it's cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Wino peels off an amazing solo in the middle. And then at the end he says, Rip HB. And in the liner notes, it says this song's dedicated to Doug H.B. Caldwell, R.I.P. And it's a pretty dark song lyrically. I knew a man I'm proud to say, but he couldn't live in a world he couldn't see. Blackened veins of nihilistic sadness, a painted mask, substance-induced gladness. So Wino clearly wrote this for, for a friend of his named Doug Caldwell. And then Ryan kind of the album's centerpiece, The Troll, written by Dave Chandler, the other big epic, almost seven minutes long. Terrorizer calls this one of the heaviest doom songs ever recorded, replete with a truly ominous riff that rolls out of your speakers like a storm cloud and a bleak account of isolation and desperation that will surely touch a nerve with any burnt-out, born-too-late long hair who stumbled into Vitus's dark world. Yeah, and it's another track that is just slow oh, and yeah. to great to great effect slow. The and there's some great vocal effects too. You know that I don't know what that effect is, but Ozzy had it on some of those Sabbath records, and it's used excellently here. Yeah, yeah. You can't listen to this song and not bang your head. <laughs> 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 this is a top ten Vita song for sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And then we close the album already with Looking Glass, another Wino song. Terrorizer. This triumphant closer is one of their most strangely uplifting numbers as Wino urges the listener to dust themselves to dust themselves off and keep on keeping on. As he intones, 
When is the time to do something about your agony in that voice over a brutally prodding groove? It's hard not to feel a chill shooting down your spine. And then Carducci says, on Looking Glass, another two-guitar Dave Wino arrangement. Dave didn't do that little scraping on the strings until the take itself, so that was a nice surprise. I don't know if you picked that up, Ryan, but he's talking about this little pick slide, I think, that Dave does in the pauses in between the riffs, which is definitely cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know what my favorite was in this song, though, was the hi-hat. Yeah? Yeah, the hi-hat is like the right openness for this slow um tempo and it's just i don't know it's just crashing Hmm. um and keeping the rhythm i loved it right in the pocket the pocket is owned you know how earl in last week's episode earl owned the pocket yeah the hi-hat owns the pocket on this song all right so you liked this one a lot hey yeah, I don't know if I've just been tenderized for it, though, over the last couple of years, and uh, it really sunk in. And like I said, I've been listening to uh, a fair amount of wino stuff in the last few months as well, so I'm on a bit of a wino kick, well, what I guess. Have, what have you been listening to? Uh, well, I listened to that, in particular, that Spirit Caravan, Jug Full of Sun. Yeah. That that one, I finally tracked down a, a copy, so... That's the and debut. That one, yeah, it's killer. Yeah. yeah. It's killer. I, I mean, uh, I, I checked out the single and then uh, I had to get, well, Shine, I think was the single, right? right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, I had to check out Jug Full of Sun, which is not easy to get your hands on if you want a, a physical copy. So been cranking that one. It's deadly. Right on, man. One of the coolest things about this record, though, is the amazing cover art. Ooh. It's, it's a painting called Hour of the Dragon by Lionel Baker II, who did some cover art for some Shrapnel Records bands in the early 80s of the fantasy variety. Uh, Shrapnel was the label putting out all the Shred albums. Apparently, this cover art was originally commissioned for the 1986 Ingve Malmsteen album Trilogy, uh, which features him fending off a hydra-headed dragon with his Stratocaster. Uh, <laughs> This is so much better. (laughs) He supposedly rejected it, and then it was picked up by Vitus. Uh, And I also read that they wrote the track Dragon Time to go along with the artwork. Oh, nice. Uh, I have to think Gin just loved this too, because it's, uh, and probably ponied up the money to buy it, because it's very Dio-esque artwork. Yeah, yeah, I guess, hey. It's got so much going on in it too. Yeah. I a hydra-headed dragon attacking a Viking village by the light of a full moon. Yeah. Well, look up in the clouds. There's um, some Vikings in the in the clouds, it looks like. A guy riding a horse with, um, it looks like a helmet with kind of like Thor wings coming out of it. Yeah. It almost looks like the wings of the dragon, you know, its arms. Like they're up in the devil horns, his hands on the dragon too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another kind of sea serpent in the background taking down a Viking ship. Yep. There's a, another like some sort of big weird, maybe it's a troll or warlock or something off in the distance <laughs> at the top of a hill or something. Lots, lots of, I, I, I can only assume what are ravens throughout. Yep. Ravens, dozens, creeping dozens of fog. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's got everything. You can see Lionel Baker's logo on the tombstone on the bottom, yep. right? Yep. That's a total, total 80s metal move to put your, your name on the tombstone, like uh, Maiden's Live After Death record. Love the blue border with the yellow writing. Yeah. Works good really contrast. good. Yeah. The photo on the back, too, the Naomi Peterson photo, was taken near Spawn Ranch on, wow. on April 23rd, 1988. Wow. What a picture. Typically, you know, typical badass-looking Vitus. Not dressed at all for the weather. No. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, it's got everything, man. Hair, headbands, tall, skinny guys with SGs and Rickenbackers, top hats. Yep. It, looks, it almost looks like gun belts, <laughs> biker boots. Yep. It's uh, mirror shades. This is this is one of the best um, band photos of all time on our show for sure. I love it. Yeah. It actually re it reminded me of those. Uh, speaking of rock docs earlier on, both of those excellent rock docs, Low Sound Desert and Desert Age. Right. Yep. This really reminds me of that desert vibe for sure. Right. How about that nice big ad on the insert where you can send $6 and get a 22 by 25 inch Hour of the Dragon poster? Send to Backdoor Records. Yeah. Walnut Street, Johnson City, Tennessee. That's not all you can send away for though, Ryan. That's right. <laughs> you flip over <laughs> the, uh, the insert and you can also order custom leather vitus patches available from fast lane leathers and i guess that's rockville maryland maryland i guess yeah whoa and how much do you want one of those custom leather vitus patches brand yeah i want one pretty bad yeah did you start looking on ebay for one yet <laughs> not that bad oh come on we have our typical vitus thank you list yeah, it's long. Yeah. I, and there's too much to go through in there, but there's some great ones like like just, and I guess you would probably know better than me what they are. I assume they are like maybe magazines and stuff like Rip yep. and, and Slag, stuff like that, and tons of bands, right? Bands just and clubs. Name, name checking. Chris Alternative, which would be uh, past Mojack pod guest Chris Bobst. Guar, Rick Rubin, White Zombie, Butthole Surfers, Voivod, Celtic Frost, Junkyard. Metal Rendezvous. Yeah. Cream Metal. Cerebral Devastation. What's that brand? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably a metal zine. El Duce for the parts. Right. No thanks to our video bootlegger. I always like it when, when they call someone out in the liner notes. Yeah. Yeah. What was the last one where someone ripped off someone's yeah. bass? What was yeah. that one again? I don't know, but they were mad. Yeah. No thanks to the fucker that stole our bass or something. Yeah. That was with um, Blast. I'm pretty sure uh, that was... Yeah, a, you're right. It, it was, was Blast. It was, yeah. a, it was a blast in her sleeve. Yeah. Yep. That's what it was. Way, way deep in the recesses of my memory. <laughs> I had it. Special thanks to Scott Riegers and, of course, to the big man above who made it all possible. Vitus88. Yeah, and don't forget Louie for the chains and cabinet. Yeah. What? <laughs> I love that. I love it, man. 
What about dead wax, Ryan? Not on my version. Damn. No, missed I'm opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I looked it up on Discogs. I'm pretty sure I have a a 2009 repress of this. I don't. I do not have an original 88. That's for sure. And when you look it up, it doesn't appear as though there is dead wax. Anyways, just kind of run up um, matrix numbers, I guess. Yeah. My copy is very. It's like it's really thick, thick, heavy vinyl. For the for the 2009 repress, it seems. All right. I don't even know how I got this version of it or when. All right. Well, ballot result, man. Let's do it. Ballot result. So it's it's a pretty short list to pick from. I I'll throw mine out there. You're gonna pick, but I'll throw out mine. Mine would probably be Bitter Truth or The Troll. Those are my top two for sure. On side two, no less. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Ryan, this is the start of a new blank tape for the ballot result. This is side, this is track one, side A? Yes, it is. Mm. So my two picks are Dragon Time and The Troll, <laughs> but I gotta, I gotta go with The Troll, man. Let's do it. Let's do The Troll. Yeah. I love it. it it's actually, you know, when you read the lyrics for The Troll, um, I can't remember what reviewer you mentioned about was was mentioning about how it's like someone feeling out of place yeah you know it's definitely like a doom metal vitus song the troll but some of those lyrics had i stumbled across this when it came out when i was around you know 11 12 13 or something i could have definitely related to the song the troll for yeah. sure totally man yeah Whoo! hey thanks to Joe Carducci for sending in some stuff. Always nice to get the inside scoop a little bit. Always. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, I'm super pumped for this. It's our first Sister Double Happiness record, SST-162. They're self-titled, full-length. Love Sister Double Happiness and Gary. Can't wait. Yeah. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, man, Gary Floyd's on the show. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.